let's just uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence here with us by your Holy Spirit. And I humbly ask that as we remember the last supper that you had with your friends, we're able to enter into that eternal story that continues today that we are part of. We invite you to look into our hearts and speak to us. In your precious name we ask. Amen. So every eye in the room was on Jesus. What was he going to do now? And he reached across the table and he took the bread. And he gave thanks. And then he gave it to disciples, breaking it as he did, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. He then took the cup of wine. And after he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood. It is to affirm the covenant between God and his people and will be poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. It had been quite a week, quite a few days, months, years, traveling along with Jesus. And there was a sense in which it was all beginning to come to a head. There had been the crowds as Jesus had entered Jerusalem on a donkey with hosannas to the son of David. There had been the shock of Jesus at the temple clearing everybody out. There had been the hushed and not so hushed voices saying, who is he? Who does he think he is? He is and what is he doing? We need rid. And there'd also be those intimate times with friends, including at Bethany, reclining at the table, a woman comes into the room with an alabaster jar of perfume. And she pours the whole of the contents over Jesus' head. A year's wages in that jar poured out in a few moments. The disciples are livid. What is she doing? How wasteful. Just think of what could have been done with that money. But Jesus receives her gift, commands us to remember her, acknowledges her abundant, lavish love, and in that bittersweet moment recognizes an anointing for his own burial to come. Perhaps it was that event that was the catalyst for Judas, the last straw. Judas, who had been given responsibility for the money, who'd been affirmed in the gift that he had, but had not used it in the way it was intended because Judas wanted then to have control of the money, to spend it in the way that he thought it should be spent, including sometimes putting it into his own back pocket. Whether that was the last straw or not, what Judas then chooses to do Judas, one of the chosen 12, Judas, one of the ones who has shared life with Jesus, Judas chooses to go to the chief priests. They don't seek him out. 
he finds them. And he says, how much money then if I hand Jesus over to you? What's your price? Chief priests can't believe it. Really? One of Jesus' own disciples, his inner circle, offering to betray him for money? The deal is done. 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. Small change. A minimum price. Surely not something that Judas is going to profit by. What a contrast to a year's wages, generously given. A miserly 30 pieces of silver. But Judas agrees it, takes it, and from then on is looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. The disciples go to Jesus and say, you know, it's almost time for the the festival. Where are we going to celebrate the Passover? And Jesus gives them really clear instructions. He says, as you go into the city of Jerusalem, you're going to find a certain man. Say to him, the teacher says, my time has come. And tonight, I want to celebrate the Passover with my disciples in your house. So the disciples go off and make the preparations as instructed. That evening, they're reclining at the table together, all in the upper room, Jesus and his disciples. No doubt, sharing the stories, the story, the story of God's rescue from Egypt, from slavery, remembering the sacrificial lamb that secured their freedom. But probably, I guess, as well, talking about all that's been happening and all the things that have happened since the last time they sat and celebrated Passover together. All sorts of conversations, some of them celebrations, some amazement at what they've seen and what they've witnessed. But there's also that palpable tension in the room. What's going on? Something more intense this time. This is different. Things are coming to a head. Maybe even that sense of a, a anticipation of separation. And in the midst of it all, Jesus stops the conversation and he says, okay, you need to listen to me. I've got something really hard, but really important that I need to tell you. One of you is going to betray me and hand me over to the conspirators. There's shock and distress in the room. It is not one of those moments where everybody's head turns and looks at Judas. It's hidden. His betrayal is hidden. Nobody suspects anybody. They cannot believe that one of the people in this room with Jesus celebrating Passover, one of the people who've lived with him, shared meals with him day by day, seen the miracles, wept with him, prayed with him. There cannot be one person in this room that would do that. And as Jesus looks in the eyes of each of his disciples and sees into their hearts, they respond to him and they say, surely not me, Lord. And Jesus says, I'll tell you, the Son of Man has to die as it has been written in the Scriptures. But woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would have been better for him if he'd never been born. And he looks at Judas. And Judas looks back. And when Jesus looks into the heart of Judas, he sees betrayal. He sees darkness. Of course, he's seen betrayal in other hearts around that table too. Those who will run away in just a few hours and leave him. 
those who will even, like Peter, say, I do not know him. What must it have been like to have been sat round that table? What must it have felt like for Jesus to look at his nearest and dearest and see their betrayal? And Judas looks at Jesus and says, You don't mean me, teacher. Jesus said, Don't mess around with me, Judas. You see, I don't believe, I'm not a fan of Judas, scapegoat, destined to be always the one who would betray the Son of God. The betrayals had not just been the going to the chief priests. That was just the last in a long line of choices that Judas had made where he had not confessed Jesus is Lord as every other disciple in the room had. Judas called him teacher. There was only one Lord in Judas's life, and it wasn't Jesus, it was him. Judas had made decisions along the way about the money, about the finances, but also perhaps about who Jesus was. Judas wanted him in a box where he could control him. He wanted the revolutionary leader who was going to come and defeat the Romans. And Jesus was not doing it in the way that he wanted him to. Judas thought he'd got better ideas. Maybe going to the chief priest to get him arrested would just be a way of forcing Jesus into a corner. So he had to act. So he had to show who he was. Judas thought he knew best. And each choice along the way led to that final betrayal. I wonder, as we think about the disciples around the table, and maybe even the woman who'd anointed Jesus with the perfume was there as well. When Jesus looked into her heart, he'd seen someone who was sold out for him. Extravagant in her love. And why? Because she knew she was loved extravagantly. We've talked about forgiveness this morning, and we're coming to forgiveness at the table. And I wonder, I was wondering, even as we were worshipping this morning, I was wondering, is her response because she's received forgiveness for so much? I don't know about you, but I remember the beginning of my Christian journey. Boy, oh boy, did God have to forgive me some really big stuff. Really, really big stuff. And the freedom that I experienced as I was forgiven those things, the way that I knew I was loved, I, I mean, it was abundant. You know, that first love. How quickly we forget. Maybe we're like the disciples. I mean, we know they got it wrong in the following hours. They did let Jesus down, but their hearts were in the right place. Jesus is Lord. They knew that. Deep down they knew it. We're here because they knew that. But in the following hours, they were afraid. They were scared. It was just too hard to say Jesus is Lord with all that was going on around them. And we're like that too sometimes, perhaps. It just gets too hard. It's easier to pretend we don't know. It's easier to run away, to turn our back. But also, dare we admit we're sometimes like Judas. Just those hidden betrayals. Nobody else sees them. They're hidden. The disciples had no idea. They didn't have a clue. 
we, you know, read the gospel stories, it is more than likely that Judas stayed for the bread and wine. Think about that. Think about the context for this first meal. It wasn't just a nice time that friends were having together and all, we'll just do something a bit different. It was in the mess and the trouble and the fear and the shock and the distress of life that Jesus spoke words of forgiveness and love, of restoration. Maybe Judas heard those words too, but he decided not to own them, not to believe them, not to receive them, because he continued to make choices which ultimately led to his own destruction. Whereas the disciples, eventually, perhaps like us, made the decisions to choose life and to choose Jesus and to choose love. So every eye in the room was on Jesus. What's he going to do now? And he took the bread. And he took the wine and he offered them and us reconciliation with our Heavenly Father. Yes, he would be broken as we are broken when we come to this table. But that restoration and love is on offer today just as it was then. We need to choose to receive it. Amen.